back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And also now I'm going to call it the Dr. Ted Wisdom Teeth Wisdom Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. My co-host, Dr. Ted Gronler. Dr. Ted, you're liking this, man. I threw you in right off the bat with a really, really interesting interview. And are you a fan of horror movies, Dr. Ted? No. <laughs> <laughs> A doctor takes a Hippocratic oath and he cannot lie. <laughs> so tell me, Ted, so never horror movies growing up at all? Um, you know, the, the there are some vivid memories I have of watching movies that were on regular television. And there's one scene on the end of a movie where there's an Indian sitting on top of a cowboy with a knife over his head. And I'll never forget that scene. So now... Uh, Never. Is that because you see too much blood every day? For a surgeon? No, that's that's like water to me. Uh, <laughs> no, it, not really. It's it, it's just one of those things. I don't know. I've read Dean Kuhn's uh, books, and it's those just go too far for me. Um, Never. So you told me as a kid you never saw any of the Halloween movies ever. Well, I I, I did go to them, but. Um, I wasn't, I, there are others, other things I'd rather go to, you know, like, uh, you know, the, um, all of the, the movies that are out with, uh, Iron Man and, and uh, the Marvel movies. You know, I, I get sucked into those really quickly, uh-huh. uh, because of the, just the tech behind them and, uh, James Bond, I, I think I've seen every one of them and I could keep watching them if they, if they keep coming out, uh, just the inventions. The reason and- that you invited me, am I on? What is- <laughs> We're going to go right now to some excited welcome from Joanne Barron. Again, Halloween ends. uh, Again, co-starring with, again, uh, Rohan Campbell and also Jamie Lee Curtis. Joanne, thanks for stopping by. We're just joking around. I told you, you never know what to expect. I I definitely came to play, but I didn't expect the first part of my interview to be a wonderful, handsome doctor who didn't like horror movies as the entree. And now we hear the Bond movies and others. But I will say, I didn't go to horror movies and that wasn't my thing. And just because you get in a movie doesn't mean that you have seen all the movies in the genre. You might, the first time you 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 were exposed to something, just be an actor in it. I, I am not a horror film buff. I barely know any horror film but I starred in a movie with an Academy Award winner named Piper Laurie, a movie that was written about, a little bit about me, a fabulous movie called St. Patrick's Day. She won either the Academy Award or was nominated to play Carrie's mother in the horror film Carrie. And all the reviews said, I reminded them of her and she was freakishly terrifying. <laughs> so I can identify with you, Doc. I am not the horror film Oh man, you got, I always, when I had, a, I had someone on that was uh, played Jason and I said to him from Friday the 13th, I forgot his name, uh, his real name. And I said, and he does all these different films. I said, can I come on so you could kill me? You know, cause as being six foot 10, almost 300 pounds. I want to be in a horror movie where I get killed by, you know, one of, so basically when you got to, had to audition, Joanne, was that something like, oh my gosh, have you been in any other horror movies? Is the only one you've ever been in? Uh, That's a good question that no one's asked me. I was in a movie called Eye Murders. And a guy at that time who was up and coming is now pretty much a star. His name is Frank Griot. 
And he stars in a movie called Lamborghini. And he has a big series he's on. Uh, he was in the movie. And I played a neighbor who is sweet and unassuming. Tony Todd, speaking of tall men from Candyman, he was in it. Anyway, this movie that Robbie Bryan directed and wrote. Can I say Candyman three times for you or not? Or I'm in trouble. Uh, uh, you can say Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Please, no. Do you know about that movie, Dr. Ted? No, I don't. You're not supposed to say it three times. I'm already looking in the corner saying, please, no, please, no. See, Joanne is definitely showing her horror style stuff now. No, no, no. no. You can't say it. I didn't hear it. I'm going to have to edit that third one out. I'm already looking in the corner. Uh, so I was the murderer in I Murders. I was the sweet old neighbor that was killing everyone. So in that, I was in a horror movie, a thriller maybe a horror movie. I think a horror movie because I was killing everyone that was my neighbor. And then I was in a, a, a movie called High School Cheerleader. And I was the vice principal who got killed. So I think I've been in proximity to horror. But like Dr. T, I have not been going to horror movies horror movies as a oh, practice. Some people, oh, they live for them. They oh, live in oh, for them. There in Elm Street, I love... Freddy Krueger and see Michael Myers, in my opinion, I wasn't a huge fan as Nightmare Marin Elm Street and Jason. I don't know why, but now I'm a huge Michael Myers fan because the guy can never be killed. And we're not going to say anything about the other one. And I'm sure he's not dead. I'm sure he's back. And especially Candyman almost appeared right now in the corner of the, and, and Ted, if you've not watched it, I recommend it. Horror movies make it so your life doesn't feel so bad. I interviewed a horror movie director before and said that <laughs> horror movies makes your life not feel so bad. So now after I'm looking in the corner and seeing if Candyman's right here, thanks to Joanne, and I'm going to have to put that out there as a reel for sure what she did. I'm like, oh dear, good, goodness gracious. So Joanne, when you auditioned, I'm sure you saw that all the Halloween movies, right? Or at least the ones, the originals, right? With Jamie Lee. The process of auditioning in major projects, and even maybe less so, but especially this, is so top secret. The actors don't know what they're auditioning for, what the name of it is, who they are. Even the scenes can sometimes be written for the auditions and don't reflect necessarily the movie. I had no idea I was auditioning for a horror movie. I knew I was auditioning for uh, a project that was a Jason Blum project, which means that it's like a tour de force, you know, uh, brilliant uh, producer. I didn't really know anything else. In fact, they had another name for it the whole time I was auditioning. It was called Caveman, Cave Dweller. It was called Cave Dweller. So I never ever knew what it was. And I definitely didn't know until right before that I was gonna be in a scene opposite Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, so I didn't know anything. And the director took a real irreverent turn, an iconoclastic kind of unique auteur fresh look at creating me and my son as new characters in the last of the trilogy. So he did something epically audacious. He put a whole new character and my son's the lead. And he did that as he was sewing up the entire storyline. So did I know I was going for a horror movie? No. Did I know who I was in it? No. Oh, my goodness. That's but you turned a lot of heads in that movie from what I read. 
in, uh-huh. in the way you were the crazy, creepy mother uh, in this film. And you made the audience feel like Michael um, Murphy, was it? Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. Michael Myers was in the movie when he wasn't. But you <laughs> but they were led to believe that he was in the presence of you all. That's so doctor like you're so uh, educated and have that intellectual mind that that scientific mind. Yes, one of the reviews said that I was the scariest character in the film. Yeah. That when I was on screen, it didn't matter that Michael had less screen time because he I was embodying him and you felt like Michael Myers was alive in me. You know, that was when as an actor you do things and you don't know sometimes even what you're doing. So when I read a review that said toxic motherhood, Jamie Lee is like all over her granddaughter and I'm all over my son. I didn't understand. And even the fact that they have a novelization out about my character, there were seven children in my family. I was neglected. My first husband died, you know, in a way. It's like all of the interesting aspects that you don't really know, even as an actor, sometimes how people view it after and reflect on it and review it, it's actually informative. I was surprised that I was compared to Michael Myers. I was surprised that they said the toxic motherhood was the theme of the movie. I was surprised that people thought Jamie Lee was toxic as a grandma. Mm. I was surprised at all the things I read that, you know, just seemed, they said I was so memorable because you couldn't forget me. I was so creepy. So, Ted, if you have Peacock, you can watch Halloween Ends right now. I mean, because this is the thing. Yeah, and and Peacock Network, I watched it. I went to the other Halloween. I didn't go to the theaters because I already subscribed to Peacock. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. And you're right, you were scary. And honestly, the way they plug this at the end, it's I can't believe that Jason the Blum might be over, but you never know. I believe Michael Myers is not dead. That's my belief. But let's go with Jason Blum. Are you a fan of Blumhouse? Now, after well, I the- think Blumhouse is brilliant. I mean, this is a guy who made an entire, you know, iconic leg- legacy level uh, franchise from something that many people would think would be modest. Oh, a horror movie. That's not so artful. Oh, it's got maybe a B-level quality. Well, he turned around and he did things like Get Out. And uh, that was like a nominated for an Academy Award. He, he, he finds brilliant material. I believe he did the Renee Zelliger um, show with something about Pam, which is a brilliant miniseries about a woman who killed her neighbor. True story. I think Jason Blum is brilliant as an auteur, as an artist, as a businessman, and as a visionary. So one of the big things of doing a Jason Blum film is, you know, being in that stable of extraordinary people. Uh, and, and perhaps, you know, the casting director was so sweet to me at the after party. She said, we're going to look for something else for you. And I kind of do get the feeling there's a sense of community and that they, they, they may not repeat with people, but an example would be there's a wonderful Jason Blum movie out now that's fascinating about a little doll who comes to life and kills everyone. And it's starring the same woman who starred in Get Out, uh, Allison Williams. Oh, wow. So, so you know, I love that you Jason Blum. Do you have that connect? We're gonna, I have connects for you. You're going to have connects for me, Joanne. At least reach out to see if I can get Jason Blum on my show. Okay. Well, that would be great. Okay. I don't have that kind of relationship with him, 
But if you could get Jason Blum, that would be a real. Yeah, so you might help. I just need to get on the phone. That's all. All right, Dr. Ted, next question for Joanne. I knew it'd be fun, and we're going to do a final skit at the end. Ted's going to create it. We're going to do another improv where I did one with Nellie, right? Nellie from, um, not Nellie, Nellie. Nellie Olson from uh, from uh, Little House on the Prairie. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, Nellie. Well, I want to do Nellie. I want to interview Nellie too, but no, Nellie Olson from Little House and Prairie. But go ahead, Dr. Ted, next question. Well, my question was when I was going through the films that you've done, there's one particular film that caught my attention as a, in, from my dental background. You know the what dentist? I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this guy. This guy's great. Um, do you know that was Mark Ruffalo's first movie? Really? He never no. had done a movie before. He was in a play on Broadway. And I went backstage. He's one of the classiest people on earth. He's so kind. I think being successful is confusing and being a failure can be painful. So we're just human beings. We're just, I'm Christian. We're sinners in my mind. We're not perfect like God is. So, you know, it's unusual when someone is as generous, kind, classy, gracious as Mark Ruffalo. I went backstage and he was kissing my hand. And I didn't even know he remembered me. Wow. I did not even know he remembered me. And he remembered me from the dentist. And now that you mentioned the dentist doc, that is a horror movie. Because Robin Bernson pulls everyone's teeth out. And as a matter of fact, the little boy that played my son, he kept saying, I don't like this. I don't want to be here. I want to get off. <laughs> and I went to the director. Hold on to your underwear, gentlemen. And I said... I don't think he wants to be here. And the director gave me eyes of death. Go back to where you were. <laughs> An actor does not tell a director that the person he's shooting the movie with, even if they're three years old, wants to go home. Mm. I said, is there anything we can do? And then I said to the little boy, can I get you a toy? Can I do anything? So being in that movie, I was very preoccupied with actually playing mother to this adorable little boy. Mm. And his mother was on the set, but I guess he got bored and just wanted to go home. He's a child. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be hard. Are you going to watch the dentist now, Ted? Are you going to watch Sorry. the dentist? Are you going to watch oh. the dentist now? Well, I have to now that I find oh, out he the film. Ah, he's got to see the dentist because he's he's that's his area. He's got him. Corbin Burnson, I've had I've had Corbin on my show multiple times. He's a great guy. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, I'm I'm ranked the number twelve celebrity podcast in the world according to Feedspot. So I interview major celebs all the time. All right, but see, I just find you so fascinating, Joanne, and all the different things. Now, latest project for you? Let's talk about. We I know Halloween ends is the thing, but also you're out promoting something else because. Um, but everyone needs to check out Halloween ends again. Available Peacock and soon on. It's now. I'm, What's going on with it? It's What's still going on with it is, is you know, as actors, we're, we're like half the time out of the loop. I'm still trying to understand that they advertised deleted scenes, of which I have three, including my death, which is a wild death scene. I sing while I'm slashing and blood is dripping. The director and the AD were on set throwing blood at me as I'm singing and grabbing a knife and kicking. That is one epic death scene. And it says deleted scenes coming out, directors a cut, 
a gag reel bloopers. And I'm looking, I thought it was November 15th. I think it might be December 27th, but I want to see it because it's some of the scenes I did. And whereas you see from the cut, the director did a kind of angular, somewhat unattractive kind of, I don't know, oppressive woman. There were scenes I did that were funny where I'm talking baby talk to my husband like sexy. Wolf Wolf wants Kitty to come over and do a little play. And then there's ones where I am touching. I bring my son a dessert. I didn't mean what I said. And then there's, you know, my death scene where my last word is I'm dying is the most epic thing you'll ever believe. It's the one thing in the movie I wish he didn't cut. Her last words are incredible because of who's murdering her. So I am hopeful to look at those new deleted scenes and they're either out now, November 15th, or they're out December 27th. And I'm such a dumb bunny. I don't even know where to go to get it. I just keep calling people. Have you seen it? Where is it? So right, we'll be ready for it. All right, Ted, another question. Cause you've done some great research. I'm impressed. Dr. Ted and the research you have for Joanne. Dr. Ted is on the ball. Well, thank you. I, I do have another in that I know nothing about acting, but I'm I'm learning as I go here. And I understand that you teach the Meisner technique, which is different from method acting. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, wow, so, this, this guy. Is this how you went through medical school? That's how come you're a good doctor. You got the highest grades. <laughs> well, thank you. The Meisner technique is a technique that is sort of 100 plus years old. Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, Robert Duvall, mm -hmm. the great director, Sidney Pollack, the writer, David Mamet, Sam Rockwell, Aaron Eckhart, Diane Keaton, Diane Weiss. It's the most renowned technique. And it's a program that really is good for writing, producing, directing, acting. And it's great for anyone at any age. And we teach it on Zoom. So anyone anywhere can take it. And we teach it in person, of course, if, you, if you're in town. Mm -hmm. And the method of that is imaginative. And Strasbourg's method, as they called it, is more like recalling trauma in your life or doing something where you look at a person and you're substituting someone's face. So Halle Berry, who uh, I was in Frankie and Alice with and I was in Dorothy Danrich with, she worked with our Meisner technique and she worked with the method. And her comment was, it's not really as specific as the Meisner technique because it's more generated by emotion. Mm -hmm. I am going to remember a trauma. I am going to look at your face and remember my uncle. And somehow she felt that didn't ground her as much as breaking a script down and having specific clear planned behavior and filling in the emotion under it. So she was a, she, she was a Meisner convert. There's many Strasbourg actors, people who did the method and felt like that recall and substitution, those techniques were helpful, but they're not the whole enchilada to acting. Now I understand with Meisner, you're trying to act to get a reaction from the people around you? No, you're not going to ever push for a reaction. You're okay. simply going to allow the truth to unfold. Okay. And allow yourself to react. So rather than come on stage to pick a fight, you are there to just accidentally experience what might become a fight if someone insults you. Uh, and the accident of acting is like the accident of living. Who goes home and expects their wife to be cheating on them? They didn't think they were going to pick up a gun and kill their best friend. And when you go to the dental office, you know, or he is doing his Zooms, 
He didn't know that I was going to say, wait a minute, talk about me, not the Bond movies. No, see, and- I, luckily, I've done so many interviews. I know you were not upset. I do have stories. I'll tell you off air of the worst interviews ever that were the ones that were pissed off at me out of 9,000 plus. And I have a few of them and I want to still strangle them. All right. So let's go ahead now and, and, and go Bad ahead. interviews. <laughs> and, and, and they're pretty well-known people. And they're the two biggest jerks in the industry. Well, let me just I say this. I can't why say I, Why I said Mark Ruffalo was a very kind soul is because I think as you get more and more successful for some people, you're in awe and fear you'll lose it. And in a weird way, you shut down. And I think you become a little less humble and a little less vulnerable and a little more impatient. So actually, failure is not a bad thing. It can make you deeply humble and 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 vulnerable. And I think the quality of gratefulness, you know, is 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 a great characteristic for someone who's a superstar. Tom Cruise is a, a darling person. Tom Cruise is an absolutely lovely, lovely person. He spoke at our school. Lovely. Have, all right. Well, I got the best gimmick here. I came up with something, Dr. Ted. I remember I always wanted to do skits. I'm going to be a country bumpkin named Buck who's going to interview your character from this movie. And that's Joan. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm real, I'm I'm really excited today to invite you to my show. Welcome to Buck, and I'm excited, Joan, that you've come by to tell me how what the heck happened with your son. That was not a very, very, very good job you did raising him. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you say anything about how I've raised my son? What do you know about the things that I've gone through? Come on now. I saw that she, he, he, he is really crazy and he really isn't confident. It looks like a part of it is based on what you do for him. If I had a gun, I would shoot it repeatedly through your head. How dare you insinuate that I, who have given my life for a boy who I love more than life itself, and who I have done everything for. How dare you insinuate I mean, that? You, again, I would say also the father is very uninvolved, a very uninvolved man. He was kind of crazy, and I didn't know what you saw in him, Joan. I see that you are a judgmental, evil, evil, evil. I am a wonderful mother, and my husband is a very kind and well-intended are you really kidding you're you're absolutely kidding me that you would think something like that i i'm just shocked i'm shocked that you're lying joan you really have a lot of problems i am controlling myself because i'm a lady but you're one more word out of you swear Anything you think about me or my husband will come seeping through this Zoom right into your bloodstream. Oh my goodness, gracious! You say, I, I tell you, I'm I really, I'm gonna have to let you go. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. <laughs> my country bumpkin interview with that—that that was phenomenal. That was great character acting. Awesome. Very, very good. Awesome. So, Ted, last question. For Joanne, but we have to let her go. But if you like the Joan thing, I mean, I can't wait to watch because I was looking right in the camera and didn't see your reaction. I cannot wait to watch that and put it in reels. 
and everything. And so I've been doing this. And what are your thoughts? Was that pretty good? Country? Oh, oh, you want my acting assessment? Yeah. I, I think that when people are different and older, they're very short, they're very tall. You were a wrestler, which by the way, we have a lot of Olympic champions and wrestlers have gone through the school. Very famous. I was in the Jean-Claude Damme movie with uh, Dolph Lundgren, who I taught. In oh, I've had Dolph on my show. I've had Dolph Lundgren oh. on my show. Well, look at Universal Soldier. I have quite the uh, epic scene in that. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Um, I find that people who have lived longer and have more to draw from and who are special, maybe someone short like Danny DeVito, or they're very tall like Dolph or yourself, I find that they can work as actors. The issue with acting isn't that you come to it later or you did something else. John Cena is a brilliant actor. It's how much time you train is the same training that goes into the doctor, all the work that he did, your work in your wrestling, you can't just walk into that. You're going to get your, your clavicle broken, your head off broken, exactly. and you'll be, de- you'll be dead. Your windpipe will be gone. You have to be skilled. So the only thing I say to people is, Meisner said he could teach a table to act. <laughs> and I think the most interesting tables are the ones that have been around the longest and have the most character. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to teach people. If, if Ted or yourself ever said, Hey, I'd like to take a class at Baron Brown, especially on Zoom, because, you know, uh, Zoom is very effective for acting training. Um, I would think it would be fun and exciting and open up new vistas. How many doctors have also loved acting? Rico Simonini is one of the top heart surgeons in the world. And he went to our whole two year program to be an actor. Wow. And he starred Frank Sinatra in a movie that he produced that I played Hedda Hopper in. You know, you're so you're really the the resume you have, who you've taught, where can people go? So you're going out here promoting Halloween ends, but also let's promote your acting. Where okay. can people take the course? Where can they go right now? Baronbrown.com. I'm Baron, my husband's Brown, and there's a dot com. And all you have to do is go on baronbrown.com and there's a thing that says apply for an interview. All right, fantastic. All right, Ted, that was fun. And we'll make sure I'll get to the link to all that. Appreciate it. Halloween Ends is now available on Peacock. And also, I'm sure now it's in streaming services. It's out of the theaters now. If you've not seen it, got to check it out. And now you one see last, crazy one, Joanne. One last comment. One last comment. Ted. Yes. You're the best. <laughs> I, I hold nothing against you for not liking the horror movies. I'm, I'm not the horror girl. Your taste is my taste. I love the things you said you love. You're a terrific interviewer. I enjoy the research you did. I really want to give you props. You really, you caught me off guard with how much you knew because most people, they, they don't do the research. And I think that's how come you're a doctor. You can, you can heal people and you can, and you can be exacting in how you approach things. So I think you're the bomb. All right. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That was, again, the Dr. Ted Celebrity segment and the Neil Haley Show. Guys, take care.
We're back here, the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show, Media Giant Effect, and Kim Sorrell's Love Is segment, celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome from the author of Love Is, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited, and we keep talking about The Chosen, and I know you cannot wait. I mean, it's such a great thing to have the theatrical release coming soon. What a way to come up to the holidays. We've talked to so many people from The Chosen, and here's our next guest. So we introduce him. Yeah, hopefully I don't make anybody car sick as I'm in the back of an Uber doing this. That's interview. okay. I like, I love it. So that's, I love it. This is what I talk about. I remember when I first started the show, the first year I had somebody that was a rock and roll star and he was partying on his boat. So this is what makes fun. We just continue uh, to you make to it me. You'll have to introduce me to that. Sorry, I'd like to party on his boat too. I am so excited, Noah, to have you on our show. I am a huge fan. I have so much I want to know about you, like how you went from Shameless to The Chosen, but <laughs> you started acting very young, and I, I don't know how old that is, from Toronto, Ontario, right? I worked in Burlington, <laughs> Ontario, actually, for a while. Is oh, that no, true? I'm, I'm from the States, yes. Yeah, where are you from? But it's funny that you say that because someone made a, <laughs> someone made some kind of like The Chosen actors, like, what is their relationship status? And someone said I was from Toronto. And I'm like, I wonder where that's coming from. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So go figure. So, so she, she, at least did it. she at least did her homework, Noah. And so I'm going to throw. Uh, so kind of the, the fact, were you in Shameless? Just to ask that question. I wasn't Shameless. I okay. wasn't. And um, yeah, where that I started acting when I was uh, 14 um, in uh, Tempe, Arizona, I was doing theater and I just, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the community. I, I love other actors and storytellers. And so, yeah, I went to school in New York, uh, for acting. And then I came to LA where I am now. And, uh, I did, I, I filmed shameless a few years ago and, um, I loved working with William H. Macy. He was a, a wonderful dude. And, but I will say that the chosen for sure in my professional life, I've never had a part that's asked so much of me as an actor and as an artist um it's been an incredible ride to be on i'm just so thankful to have had these these last few years and i i'm looking forward to doing more see that's great and i'll let you get to the question in a second kim the, the chosen when you first were asked to you know audition for this especially the shameless what a what a, a polar opposite right <laughs> 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 What were your thoughts in that process? Were you trying to look for something like this or did it just come to you? No, totally came to me. I mean, actually, I um, I auditioned for The Shepherd, which was Dallas Jenkins, who's the creator of The Chosen. It was his short film a year and a half before The Chosen. And I auditioned for it just once. And then that was it. Never heard again, which is not unusual as an actor. And a year and a half later, Dallas calls me in for The Chosen. And uh, I was never so thankful to not get a role because I didn't get the shepherd, the short film. I have now been on the chosen for years um, as Andrew. And so I, I just, you know, honestly, meeting Dallas there at that first audition for the chosen, I knew that he was a special director and creator. I knew that he was someone that I really, really wanted to work with. And uh, I wasn't wrong. He's he's the absolute best to work with. And the show stepping onto it, it was just such a welcoming open environment everyone you know approaches it with the utmost respect and we just like we I, i'm telling you we put our blood sweat and tears into it whenever we're filming and and hopefully you can see that on the screen 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. And your character, Andrew, is you do just such an outstanding job. Um, it's just such a great cast. But you in particular, Noah, are amazing. And I love the character of Andrew. And they've had to really, like Dallas has had to develop these characters. There's only so much known, right? So how, how did you mold into that role or how did you become Andrew? How, how, how does that work for you when you're filming? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, they really, you know, obviously it, it starts with the Gospels and then the writers, they really just tried to do their best to um, expand these characters that, you know, a, a lot of people know, obviously, from the Gospels, but, but really dive in and see what would it have been like to live 2000 years ago as a fisherman in Capernaum, you know, struggling under Roman oppression, um, about to lose his boat, his livelihood, and then going from there and knowing that Andrew, you know, often is called the first called, um, you know, who is that? Who is the person that that would accept Jesus as the Messiah right away and yeah. bring that to, to his brother, Simon? And then we take these clues and we really just try to to expand on that and bring it to life and inject it with, with, you know, real flesh and blood. And so I'll say for me personally, a lot of that, obviously with the scripts, but then I just spend a lot of time um, daydreaming. That's, that's actually a, a good thing to do as an actor. I just think I really just try to put myself in the shoes of 2000 years ago. And I really just try to um, imagine the scenarios and, and have an open mind and heart and just come to set and work with amazing actors. And we try to create it in the moment, really. I mean, what Dallas has created is just, I, I guess, I can't, how I explain it, it's just, it's phenomenal, right? To come from this idea and to see his father's, the lineage from his father to this and learning about this from the Left the Behind series to now, this is the new thing. And it's so great to be able to bring this information, the Gospels, to so many people and to see it in a way that's entertaining and really gets people thinking more. How much more did you learn about the Gospels and the Bible and everything from The Chosen that you did? Oh, know absolutely. Before? Yeah, absolutely. Because I actually I, I come from a um, I'm Jewish. I come from a, a Jewish secular upbringing. For me, this was like totally coming at this from from outside. And Honestly, it's like, what better way to learn about the teachings of Jesus than to be standing at the Sermon on the Mount with 2,500 people hearing it, not reading it. It's almost like Shakespeare, you know? I'm not reading the play. I'm, I'm witnessing it live. I'm hearing these words. I'm hearing the revolutionary ideas of, of turn the other cheek, of, you know, love your neighbor, but also love and pray for your enemies. That is such an incredible idea and something that's uh, very difficult to live out, obviously. And so being on set and and experiencing those things in the moment, um, it's been really eye-opening. I'm, I'm so thankful that I get to come into this world uh, the way that I have. Go ahead, Kim. If you want me, I'll just keep going. And if, if I, cause I, I, I'll just go to another question. What are your hope? What, uh, what is your hope for the chosen in your opinion? What, what do you look think? Cause again, it, it just keeps now being available in theaters. Wow. That's something that is, it's, it just is not unthinkable where you got started to be in the yeah. theaters. The people to see the first premieres are going to be in the theaters to see it on the big screen versus in your house and to bring this to a different perspective 
changes everything. It's going to be free at the one point in time, but to be able to be the first to see it, this is really becoming the fan base is becoming just crazy, right? Oh yeah. And I mean, the, the hope for the show is that it reaches as many people as possible and that it uplifts people. It, it, it helps them through tough times. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And so for us being in theaters, you know, we go, wow, people get to experience that in the communal way now, uh, uh, it, it, which is unusual for a television show. But we were just in Atlanta for the premiere a few days ago. There were 2,500 people in the audience and hearing people, you know, laugh at the same time, gasp at the same time, sniffle at the same time. Um, there was something so special about that. And I really do. I think that going to the theaters for something like this, um, you know, it's it's something special that that you uh, you won't forget. And you certainly won't want to miss being able to to experience it in a communal way. Right. And so that it's any other projects you have going on, though, especially getting being in this uh, amazing opportunity got to open up other doors for you. Right. Definitely. It definitely has. And um, there are always things, you know, in the work. It can be hard sometimes to talk about <laughs> to talk about uh, projects, but always. And, you know, a lot of us here, we are we are writers, actors, artists. We're constantly kind of making our own stuff, too. And um, yeah, it's it's been incredible to see. For instance, last year I did a a um, romantic comedy holiday movie. I literally played a guy. It's called California Christmas City Lights. I play a guy who throws on <laughs> the pageant play. I literally played Joseph at this uh, uh, soup kitchen. I'm like, look at that! I'm almost back in the chosen uh, potato sack. And so it's it's been fun to see. <laughs> all the strange interesting roads that have opened up from the chosen um but at the end of the day it's it's just i'm so grateful to be a part of this project and to be a part of this story with these people um i just pinch myself all the time <laughs> knowing i get to do it fantastic all right kim you have your love is question if you have our connection now so go ahead with your question okay yeah sorry oh my gosh this the internet no so worries. yeah thank you so uh i i dedicated a full year to figuring out the true meaning of love because it seems to be this this thing that's a mystery even after all these years that that we say we love and whatever and most of the time i was figuring it out i was in haiti and i found out all these things about love that i never knew like i was never taught and i I'm always just so curious and and with you um because i love you and i love your character i love what you're doing i love your spirit your heart and i'm curious uh where love comes into play in your life wow um it's a wonderful question <laughs> um there are multiple different facets of love but i think you know there's romantic love there's familial love um, all of that I am fortunate to have in my life. I recently just got married uh, two months ago. It was the best day of my life because we are celebrating yeah. our love, surrounded by our loved ones, our family, our friends. And um, to me, love is respect. It's doing well by your fellow human being. It's lifting each other up. Um, it is trying to leave the world a better place. 
than the one that we stepped into. Um, I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. And uh, I think that, you know, my calling of being in the arts and being an actor, I just want to inspire empathy in others. If, if we can, you know, with this show, if we can lift one person out of a dark time, to me, that's love. That fills me up. Um, and so hearing all the messages from people across the world that it helped them when a family member was sick, when they were sick, when, you know, something was going on with their marriage. It's like, wow, it's so humbling to think that that we can be a part of of helping people's lives. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, love is all that's that's that to me. Yeah. All right. So basically, uh, what what uh, best place we can go ahead and find info on you, Noah, and The Chosen is available in theaters when? The Chosen is available in theaters November 18th on Friday. Um, and uh, you can see it there very shortly after it will start coming out in The Chosen app. Um, yeah, you can hang out and find me on Instagram at James underscore Noah James. And uh, season three will be rolling out. You definitely don't want to miss this. We It was the most challenging season of film, but definitely the most rewarding. And I think um, people are going to enjoy the journey. All right. Well, yeah, appreciate it. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait. It's, it's fantastic. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for your heart. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've loved talking to you both, really. All right. All right. Again, that was the Love is Celebrity segment and the Neil Haley Show. Guys, take care. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is September Seacrest. She's a leader in strategy, organizational alignment, and team management. She has traveled for 14 months to, to 22 countries in Southeast Asia and Africa, and working with 45 international, regional, and community groups. September is the CEO at Leadership Synops, where the organization matches global leadership training opportunities with professional skills needs in international nonprofit work. Welcome to the show, September. Thank you, Marisa. Thank you, it's wonderful Marisa. to be here. So tell me a little bit about your journey and how you started your organization. Ah, that's that's uh, quite a story. I worked for the U.S. Department of Commerce for 16 years doing international trade. It was a great position, steady job with the federal government. I thought I had found my career forever. I loved every minute of it. And um, in 2018, I had been doing a long-term detail and uh, it was, was very successful. I, I knew how to grow in the organization, but came to a point where I thought if I ever want to try something different, to take a risk, to step out of what's comfortable, it's gotta be now. And um, so I, I went to the national director and I said, I, I'm quitting my job. And it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And the whole time I was thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? This, this is a terrible decision. 
Um, but as soon as I did it, it was this freedom of I can do something else. And so I sent out an email message to friends and family saying, hey, I'm looking to connect with uh, organizations, volunteer opportunities in, in Asia and Africa. And at that time, I honestly didn't have a clear vision as far as what my work or what types of projects I would be doing there. I just wanted to, to go and help and, and giving back and volunteering has always been a huge part of who I am and what I enjoy doing. And within about two weeks, I had this itinerary put together of friends of friends. And I know somebody in the Philippines and in Malawi. And, you know, this, this whole itinerary came together. And uh, so I, I bought an airplane ticket leaving on September 11th, because that's always a great day to fly, and showed <laughs> up in the Philippines, my first stop. And, and honestly, was very open. I can I can paint walls, I can hug kids. There was, it was a, uh, a foster care center that was actually started by my great aunt when she was 78 years old. So background story there, oh my goodness. family connection. Yeah. So, you know, side story, your next uh, podcast, you're never too old <laughs> to pursue your dreams and make a difference. Um, and as soon as I started talking with the directors, I very quickly fell into uh, a, a role that allowed me to help them look at their organization, their strategy, their policies, put together a strategic plan. And something clicked in me that the skill set that I had to offer was unique and it was valuable. And it was something that honestly didn't often uh, appear for a lot of, of international nonprofits or non-governmental organizations. And the, the reception to my ability to say, hey, have you thought about this? Long-term plans, key performance indicators, all the, the corporate buzzwords that didn't often get into their training manuals uh, was, was so welcome. It changed my focus on what I had to offer to a lot of these organizations I was working with. So from that point on, when I was reaching out or confirming I was able to say, this is what I have to, to offer you, not just I'll do whatever you need. How can I make a difference? How can I make an impact on the world? I still wanted to do that, but I was able to say, this is my skill set. This is where I can make a difference and both of us be able to benefit from what comes easily to me. And uh, just one quick story on that. When I was uh, going into Cambodia, I had uh, connected with this organization that, that helped girls that were coming out of trafficking and, and they do incredible work. Um, but as I was sending an, a, a, an email to verify these are my dates, this is when I'm coming there. The gal who had been my point of contact emailed me back and she says, gosh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm leaving Cambodia uh, back to the United States. I don't know when I'll be back. And I was supposed to land there in three weeks and I'm in a bit of a panic, right? I'm out here on my own, putting together my own itinerary, you know, connections. I don't have any sort of an overarching organization to say, help, what do I do now? And so I'm saying to myself, help, what do I do now? <laughs> and um, so I, I, I sent off an email to about three different friends who had worked in the area just saying, gosh, you know, my plans fell through. I, I'm supposed to be there in three weeks. Do you know anybody? And through a friend of a friend of a friend, I got an email address of a gal who ran this, this nonprofit organization there. So I shot off an email and I introduced myself and then went to bed. And the next morning I got her reply back and it, this email said, you have no idea your timing. Just last night, I was trying to work on my strategic plan for this big grant. 
this is so out of my league. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I slammed down my laptop and just said, I, I can't do this. I need help. And the next morning, she wakes up to my email saying, hi, I do strategic planning. Do you need any help? And it was just <laughs> the, the perfect connection at the perfect time. And, um, you know, time after time, there was just these kind of what I thought I would be doing or the organization I'd be working with. It opened up a door to get me to that place I needed to be and then worked with an organization that just said, my gosh, we're waiting for you. So I did that for, for 14 months, traveled you know, throughout Africa and Asia, had some wild stories, some incredible times, worked with some amazing organizations, everything from education to uh, protection of, of women to um, vulnerable children and, and people groups, um, you know, all these different really, really incredible work that's being done there. And um, wrapped that up, came back to the U.S. and thought, gosh, now what do I do? I've just, you know, I've blown up my well-paying career. I've had this amazing experience. Um, I was thinking, do I do a nonprofit? Do I, you know, continue this kind of work? And as I was talking with my, some of my former clients that I worked with in uh, my previous position, very quickly realized that so much of the give back, the corporate social responsibility, the, the volunteer opportunities that most uh, companies offer their employees are not necessarily well matched. You might show up at a local elementary school and paint a wall or paint flowers or read to kids, which is all wonderful. And there's, there's a place for like, you know, mentorship and big brother, big sister. But the value of their time and what they could do off the top of their head, a lot of these, you know, even local school districts and, and definitely a lot of international nonprofits would never be able to afford that level of expertise. But most of them would be more than willing to sit down with their head of accounts and their CFO and say, hey, here's some, you know, principles that we just learned at our last professional development that can help you raise your level of transparency and accountability and, and how you run your books. Can I work with you for three days and help bring that? And uh, so got some great feedback from some of my former clients, um, launched this, this company with the idea of matching uh, a, a training program for aspiring corporate executives with volunteer opportunities that would be a win-win. And uh, launched it March 9th of 2020, right before the entire oh, world shut down. Yes. COVID, <laughs> and there's no international travel, travel like ever, ever again, right? So it That's was a common those, theme. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yes. So it was one of these, okay, what do we do now? In the first couple of weeks where we're all kind of waiting, nobody knew exactly what was going to happen or how long this would take. And um, after, you know, weeks drag on and drag on, start thinking, well, I'm starting to get a little hungry and missing a paycheck. What do we do now? <laughs> And uh, so it is the, the pivot and um, the, okay, what do I have and what is needed and how do we match those? And sitting down and thinking, this isn't necessarily what I want to do for forever, but it's a stepping stone. And, and sometimes we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, how do you keep yourself in a good place when things don't go as you expect? And I think sometimes it is shifting that mindset of, this isn't forever. This is for now. What can I do for now to answer what's in front of me? And then look at how it fits in. That might be more of a Lego than a straight line. You know, as you build a block and build a block and build a block, right. um, eventually you get there. And, you know, honestly, 
when you build a tower, it's a lot more stable than hanging a rope that takes a straight line up. Um, so I ended up doing a lot more consulting work on organizational development, on training, on uh, uh, strategic planning for different organizations, uh, you know, rather than more of the leadership connecting with nonprofits focused right now on what's my skill and what's a huge need as companies pivot in this COVID environment, move to virtual training, move to global uh, organizational development and, and team leadership. And uh, so that's that's where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a fascinating timeline because I, I, there's so many facets of it that I'm thinking about. You know, you went from working a, you know, a typical nine to five in a government office, which we know how how many how much red tape is in that. Right. And so you're very restrictive in your creativity and how you can really achieve results there. And so you went from that to literally just quitting. And I'm sure it's been brewing. You know, there was something brewing for a long time, it's, you know, and but you just quit and you started something new and you had to pivot many different times throughout that. So were there times that I'm sure there were a lot of and you you've had overnight success. It seemed like you literally took off and you started traveling the world and you have all these clients. What were some of the challenges throughout each of the pivots from like a personal pers growth perspective? What did what skills did you have to learn that you didn't have in order to achieve this? Um, and then what did you do um, at times where you weren't unsure if you were going to keep moving or where to go? Like, how did how did you react to those situations? Oh, those are such great questions. When when you're looking backwards, you always see the straighter line when you're in the middle of it. It's always much more foggy. You know, every week I get to a point where I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, and that that was consistent as I was traveling, as I was was figuring out how to put together all these opportunities. I think stepping out, wildly stepping out and, and taking on this challenge of traveling solo as a female to all these different places, coming in immediately trying to assess how I can be valuable without overstepping my authority, without overstepping my bounds, without coming in and saying, I have all the answers, learning to listen, learning to take in feedback, learning to work with the team that was there that understood pitfalls and successes, but maybe try to bring a different perspective and some shape to what they were doing, really positioned me well to transitioning some of those skill sets into a, 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 a business idea. And I, I think anytime, whatever position you're in, whether it's leadership or individual contributor or entrepreneur or trying to be effective in your community, those skills are incredibly valuable. Learning to ask the questions, learning to listen with humility, learning to, uh, learning to be able to present your ideas in a way of coming alongside um, without diminishing your expertise. And I think that's a careful balance that especially women try to uh, overcompensate a little bit too much. And it's that, that careful walk of, I am an expert, I know what I'm talking about, but still have the humility of I may not have all the answers, all the information, all of the understanding of this situation, but without downplaying who you are and what you can do. So I think that experience of, of coming up from so many different situations, trying to, to figure out logistics and coordination and putting together everything. I, I 
just to, to add a little bit more to my, my journey, I didn't save up a ton of money to do this. I, I didn't, nobody was paying me. This was just all out of my savings. So I was traveling on a shoestring budget, um, <laughs> taking mostly public transportation from Kenya all the way down to South Africa over seven months. I was riding the big coach buses and the little mini buses and on the backs of motorcycles and sometimes bicycles, um, you know, staying in people's homes that I was working with. If they had a place, sometimes there'd be hotels. Sometimes there wasn't. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I've, I've camped, um, you know, out in the uh, the bush of Africa and, you know, taking bucket showers as I was doing leadership and management training for, you know, this tribes that were way out in Mozambique. Um, and I think just putting yourself in uncomfortable situations where you, you still have to show up is, is a great lesson for anyone in the corporate world that it may not be comfortable. It may not be what you expect. It may be nothing like what you expected, but can you still show up? Can you still offer the best that you have? Um, can you still provide something of value? Can you be creative? Can you uh, look at, okay, this isn't what I thought it would be. What can it be? And work from there. Um, and, and from my perspective, that's been the best training ground to come into an organization that looks nothing like I thought it would, that has not at all gone the direction I thought it would. But if you're able to show up, give it your best, have a smile, be able to say, this is what I have to offer in this situation, even though it doesn't look like what I thought it would. Um, I found that 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 has been a great recipe for success. Some of those some of those things you talked about are, are sounds like a real personal transformation story that that mo many would achieve want to achieve. Right. It's on their bucket list. I'm going to travel. I'm going to camp. I'm going to go to Africa like that. You know, that's stuff that people dream of doing. And it just came to you through what your uh, purpose was. Um, I, you, one thing that, that you said really resonated to me, and it's a, how can I be of value? Um, I find that, you know, with with men, you know, they're so willing to take risks on things that they're not, you know, they don't know how to do. Right. And so they get the, they put themselves in uncomfortable situations all the time, whereas women don't take that risk. They want to be 100 percent comfortable that they can do every bullet on that job description. Right. That they they're going into before they even accept or before they even step forward to say they want to do that. And I think what you're saying is so important. If you can make yourself uncomfortable walk into a situation with your expertise and then also say to them how can i be of value to you i say that all the time to my clients how can you know in the in the corporate world my corporate clients how can i be of value to you within the realms of my expertise because there's things i may not even be thinking of like you did i may not be thinking that they need leadership training but i can do leadership training right and so you have to be open to that you have to be open to say you know, I just offered to do these trainings and I've never done this before, right? And so you have to be willing to take your expertise, mold it a little bit and say, here's how else I can provide value to, to, do, uh, to you in the moment, right? You have to be right in the moment to do that. And so I love, I love how you, you just take it and you run with it. I've, I've got a great story about that. When I was uh, connecting with this organization that we were in our initial phone conversation, what do you need and how can I help? Uh, they were launching onto this, this grant that they were trying to apply for, and they needed training on um, uh, log frames. And, and, you know, can, can you provide training on that? And, and as they're just talking, there was no pause. And I'm like cradling my phone as I'm Googling, what is a log frame? And I'm like, yes, yeah, sure. I can absolutely provide you training on this. And I'm trying to read at the same time. And 
It stands for logistical frameworks. It's, it's what USAID and, and the military has put together to identify you know, objectives and successes and all of that. But for me, exactly what you were saying, it was that stretch of saying yes.